0: Ezra kneels before the altar, resting in the middle
1: of the church, His head bowed as he prays aloud. "'Something is wrong. What is it, Lord? What are you trying to tell me? It's not... It's not time already, is it? It can't be. They're not ready, Lord. Please, I... I know your will is good, but... Please, if there is any other way... Is it happening soon?' Then, as you wish, Lord, we are your humble servants. Help us prepare our hearts for the roles we all must play for what is to come.
0: A door is thrown open, and quickly footsteps descend the stairs. The door at the back of the church creaks, and Alistair strolls into the room.
2: Ezra, I think I've got it. Huh? Got what? How Antoinette is faking immortality. Gather the others, will you? I don't plan to explain it more than once. And I don't trust anyone else to relay the information appropriately. Gather them? (laughs) Do you think I
1: have them on an invisible leash?
2: You don't have any way, then, to bring back your flock?
1: Can't you reel your crook and gather your lost sheep? (laughs) I guess I could. But I don't think it's necessary. They'll be here shortly.
2: What makes you say that? And don't say faith. The answer has grown trite, Ezra.
1: Not this time, my friend. It's his cigars. Can't you smell them?
0: The doors to the church slam open as Silas barges into the room holding Antoinette limp in his arms, a cigar dangling from his lips. Ezra stands sharply as Silas enters, and he rushes over to help. Behind him, Herodias cradles an unconscious Elijah in her arms. She struggles beneath the boy's weight. Alistair watches carefully from a distance, his head half-cocked as he analyzes Elijah. Silas grunts and motions over his shoulder to Herodias, and Ezra complies. He brushes past Silas and takes Elijah from Herodias. Ezra lays him down across the pews as Silas approaches the office. With a solid kick, the doors of Jacob Bivik's prison are thrown open. Jacob jumps up and tries to approach, but Silas ignores him and closes the door behind him, joining the others. As he enters the main hall of the church, Bishop Martin passes from the door in the back and plops into his throne. "'What is the meaning of this racket?
3: Surely you have a decent excuse for mimicking the pealing of the bells of hell
0: at this time of night?' Herodias sits next to Elijah, placing the boy's head in her lap as she runs her fingers through his hair.
4: "'Oh, stuff it, Martin, will you? Had about enough of your shit for one night.'
0: "'How dare you speak to a holy man of the church
3: in such a way? I shall not stand here and be spoken to—' "'Hey!
4: Didn't you hear me? I said, "'Stuff it, Martin!''
1: Calm down, Ava. Let's not excite
4: him. And why not? Silas told me about the bishop on the way over. What about him? How he encourages the men of this town to beat their wives. How he encourages them to force themselves on the women if they're unwilling.
1: What? Is this true,
5: Silas? I'm afraid so, Ezra. While we were questioning Frau Bilek, she told us what her husband did to her. And how the bishop said that it was her fault... She claims the bishop told her it was Jacob's duty as her husband to beat her and to rape her, that she was the one in sin, and how she needed to repent before God. What? This is the first time that this has been
3: brought to my attention. If Jacob Bilek has twisted the words I preach, that is the fault of the individual, not the fault of the church. I am sorrowful that my words have been spun in such a negative light as to inspire such a devious act. "'but I assure
5: you it is no fault of mine.' "'You're going to have to do better than that, Bishop. "'I've seen firsthand what your lies have done to this town.' "'Have you so quickly forgotten the words of your friend "'just because he sleeps? "'Do I not
3: deserve a trial to try and prove my innocence? "'I beseech you, before you condemn your soul "'with a blaspheming tongue, present before me "'evidence of your claims, and let me stand trial.' I have faith in our system, in our church, and in our Lord, that justice will be done there within.
4: How can justice be done in a court where you reign as judge and jury? Can you think of
3: anyone else more fitting to preside over the hearing?
4: Anyone who doesn't have a personal stake in the matter sounds fitting to me.
3: I am afraid, Agent Herodias, that no one else in Durinbar is qualified for such a position. I and I alone am the only one qualified to reign judgment in a court of law.
0: The bishop grins as he locks eyes with Ezra, daring him to speak. Ezra remains silent but refuses to break eye contact.
4: Then how about we just go over your head then? How about we get Cardinal Bassani down here? I'd love to see you try and warm your way out of that.
3: I will submit myself before the veil of the church if this is what the cardinal desires. However, the Cardinal is an exceptionally busy man, and unfortunately for us all, I don't think he'd be able to make time for the trial for at least a couple of years. And by then, who knows what corruption could befall any evidence or witness that would be present at the trial. It would be a great shame, would it not, if a tragedy were to befall Nadine Belak before she could come to the trial and clear my good name? To preserve any evidence which you claim to have against me, and the current state of the good fortune of your so-called witness, would it not be best to have the trial now?
4: Careful, Bishop. That sounds an awful lot like a threat.
3: Oh no, I pose no threats against anyone. "'Merely I speak of the frequent misfortune of the sinful world we live in. "'One can never predict a break-in or a murder or a rape, you know. "'All I suggest is that for the sake of preservation of justice, "'we move on with the trial as soon as possible.'"
0: Ezra raises a hand as Herodias
1: moves to speak. "'That's enough. Silas, Herodias, do you have any more proof of your claims, then, "'beyond the words of one woman?'
4: Isn't her testimony enough?
1: Unfortunately, the testimony of one individual. It's just not enough evidence to convict anyone. Why not? Because a false testimony could be given. And an innocent party could be convicted to a sentence they didn't commit.
4: But she's not lying, Ezra. We can prove it. How? When Elijah wakes up, we'll have him pray over Nadine like he did Jacob.
3: Casters are not allowed in the court of law. It is the right of every citizen of the Church that they are protected against self-incrimination. No one would willingly enter an environment in which their secrets are forced from their lips, and they are incarcerated right alongside the guilty party they helped put there.
1: Unfortunately, he's correct. Because of gifted individuals such as Elijah, the Church has declared that casters and other divine conduits... They cannot be present during a trial. At the end of the day, Elijah is just a man, and any man is capable of sin. How is the layman supposed to know that he used his gift in the way he said? Perhaps he lied and didn't pray for the truth. Perhaps he didn't pray at all. Perhaps he prayed that she would provide a testimony that would convict herself. How are we supposed to know?
4: So what do we do now? can we do anything?
1: I'm afraid not. As your shepherd and active clergyman, I have a lot of responsibilities. Unfortunately, standing as a judge in a court of law is not one of them. The bishop is right. We can either have the trial now with Bishop Edmund Martin acting as judge. We could put in an appeal to have another proper church figure to preside as judge. Or we could drop our case. I don't think the bishop will mind. Certainly not. Women are often privileged to frequent flights of fancy. Does anyone else have any objections? Very well, Alistair. You asked me to gather our flock. Well, as it happens, the Lord delivered them to us.
0: Ezra motions over to Alistair, who contorts his glare directed at the bishop to a coy smile as he clasps his hands behind his back and begins to pace back and forth before the altar.
2: Yes, I asked Ezra to gather you all because I believe that I finally figured it out. Well, I can't claim to understand the vast picture of it all, but look at this.
0: Alistair fishes from his pocket the cocoon and displays it to everyone present, one at a time. He makes his rounds around the room as he speaks. When it comes to spellcraft, there are three main components to consider.
2: Rhetorical corporeal and tactile when a witch goes about casting a spell she draws her power from another source often they'll need to persuade whatever force this is to grant them some of their power this is where the rhetorical components come from the words spoken needed to cast a spell then we have corporeal which refers to the body and the intricate motions one makes while casting some are verbose such as the seemingly flailing of one's arms others more subtle maybe a twist of the head, or a few steps taken backward, etc. What we are focusing on, however, is the final component, the tactile component. This is something physical that the spellcasters need to procure the chosen spell. The tactile components could be numerous or solitary. They could require being burned, torn, or modified in some way, and all alterations to the ingredients must be made within the corporeal movements of the spell. Our spell, however requires only one tactile component, simply a small gray cocoon. Now, with reverse engineering, we are able to use one of these components to work our way back and decipher what spell the caster had initially intended. In our case, the spell Antoinette has been casting all along is the Polymorph spell. Polymorph? Yes. It's the most common spell people think of when they envision witches. Take for example when a witch turns somebody into a toad. That is the polymorph spell at work, taking one subject and transforming every aspect of it to perfectly and permanently mirror another.
4: So Antoinette is taking men and turning them into more Antoinettes?
2: Yes, precisely. Just as Cersei used the spell to turn the sailors visiting Aea into pigs, Antoinette is taking the men of this town and transforming them into copies of herself. Copies that the bishop then publicly and brutally
3: murders. Nonsense, complete and utter nonsense. My senses were not deceived. I know Antoinette Hosp. She is a member of my congregation. I know the look of her eyes, the smell of her hair, and the touch of her skin. Such is the brilliance
2: of the polymorph spell. It doesn't have to fool your senses because your senses weren't mistaken. The spell doesn't have to affect anybody's mind and risk a strong-minded individual seeing through its facade. What the spell does is it reshapes the subject into something physical that your unaffected senses already recognize. In this case, Antoinette. Replicating the look of her eyes completely, and so on. Although, if you had
5: deigned to listen to me, you would have known that.
4: But why? Why make a copy of yourself just to have it killed?
5: So she wouldn't have to do the killing herself. Look at her. She's scrawny. If she jumped any of these men in a fair fight, they wouldn't have a problem shaking her. Yeah, well, she's tougher than she looks. You
2: are both mistaken. Beyond her learned witchcraft, Antoinette should pose no threat to an able-bodied fighter. And the reason she is turning them into herself is this.
0: Silas, come with me, will you? Alistair and Silas enter the office, and when they exit, Silas carries the unconscious Antoinette over his shoulder. He rests her on top of the altar, and Alistair pushes open her blouse and shows everyone the markings on her
2: chest. These carvings here are an arcane sigil. Essentially, what the sigil does is turn our victim into a tactile component for another spell. Human
3: sacrifice. Precisely. There is no human sacrifice taking place within Durinbar, I assure you, Shepherd Ezra. I would have put a stop to it long ago. Obviously
2: not. What spell would she need a human sacrifice for? That, unfortunately, is where the clues end. There are too many spells that require a human sacrifice. I'd need to know another component before I could begin to fathom.
4: If it helps, I can tell you that when Antoinette was carving up this one here, she didn't use any of the spell components you mentioned. What do you mean? Well, it was hard to tell because I was just shot by an asshole bartender, but Antoinette wasn't chanting. She didn't take anything special out of her pockets, and she didn't do anything with her body besides breathe and carve.
2: How certain of this are you?
4: Again, it was hard to tell, but I'd bet money on it.
2: Yes, but you'd bet money on anything.
4: All right then, 80% sure, asshole.
2: Hmm. What is it? Well, based on the assumption that Herodias is correct, unprecedented as that may be... Thanks. ...then Antoinette is using a minor glyph for the secondary spell. The one which turns the victims into tactile spell components. This glyph has the advantage that it doesn't require any costing to complete... Rather, anything with that glyph can be used as a spell component. The downfall, however, is that it's only activated inside a witch's circle.
4: Now that you know about this minor glyph, do you have any idea what Antoinette might be planning? Hmm.
2: Yes. Yes! The markings here on Antoinette are a sister glyph to the witch's
0: circle, meaning the two should be nearly identical. Alistair whirls around and snaps open his book as he hurriedly thumbs through the pages in newfound fervor.
2: Going forward, using human sacrifices and a witch's circle as our tactile components, it shouldn't be too hard to determine what she is planning. Sacrifices? Yes,
5: that's what I said, Silas. Nah, Alistair. I mean sacrifices, plural. Eight men were killed before our arrival, and as far as we know, she still hasn't reached her goal. That mean anything to you, Alistair? Hmm. Well, there's the eight-legged horse, Slipnir. The eight-pointed star of Ishtar?
2: On the eighth day of the Chinese New Year, the gods gather in heaven. Try something more biblical. She ain't never been to China or Finland. There was a total of eight men and women on Noah's Ark. Wait. Aha! Yes, the markings on the chest. Do you
3: see here the two nine-pointed stars laid within one another? So what if there is a nine-pointed star laid within a second? If you claim there are eight victims, not
5: nine, can it even count, Shepard? She weren't going for eight, Your Holiness. She was going for nine. That's why tonight she's already tried twice. Precisely.
4: Well, what does the number nine mean?
5: Nine
2: doesn't. Eighteen is our magic number. I don't follow. Each marking carved on the victims contains two nine-pointed stars. If I'm correct, these sigils designate the victims as two sacrifices, not one. Essentially, the sigil rends the soul in two upon death. Eight, nine, eighteen. Just get to the point, will you? Fine, Bishop. Those nine souls of your congregation, rends to make eighteen, represent the eighteen messenger angels of Agrat Batmalat.
3: No! It can't be. You must be mistaken. Check again. Triple check if you have to.
4: Who is Agrat Batmalat?
3: Agrat Batmalat. She's the Queen of Demons. She's one of the four angels of sacred prostitution, the mother of Asmodeus and daughter of Lilith.
2: She's a succubus. I'm sure you'd get along famously with her. More importantly, however, she is the mistress of sorceresses.
4: So this Queen of Demons is helping Antoinette? Why?
2: It's not entirely out of her character. She's been known to communicate the secrets of the arcane to mortals. Such as when she aided the Jewish sage Amamar in return for him laying with her.
4: That doesn't sound too bad.
2: She devoured his soul upon his death. So Antoinette is trying to release Agrat Bat Malat? Once more, I can't be certain of anything without further evidence. But this is my assertion, yes. If
3: that is the case, then you must do everything within your power to stop her, Shepherd Ezra. A demon
1: of this power cannot be stopped by man alone. I make no promises to you that we'll be able to stop Antoinette before her casting is complete. But I will do everything within my power to save her and your congregation. Do you think it is best to evacuate Durinbar? Hold on. Let's not get so drastic
5: quite yet. Alistair, what reason she got for doing that? Succubi tend to target and kill the sexually immoral.
0: Alistair, Ezra, and Silas all cast a long glance at Herodias. Erbilic
5: weren't a faithful man, and I'd reckon if we dug a bit deeper, we'd find none of the other men of this town were neither. So she plans to have Agret Badmalat kill the men of this town? As of now, that's our best guess,
1: yes. Very well. Do you think it's wise we evacuate? I don't think so, Ezra.
5: Doing that will just tip her off that we're on to her. She might go about doing something drastic or try to accelerate her plan. Then how do we stop her,
2: Alistair? Kill her like any other witch. If you wish to buy us more time to catch her, however, I'd start by destroying her witch's circle. She'd have to establish another circle and give nine more lives to Agrat Bat Malat if we're to do so.
4: What's a witch's circle?
2: It's an arcane focus. A conduit for the arcane, such as you claim Elijah is. According to you, Elijah prays to your god to be able to heal or make others speak the truth. In this scenario, the witch's circle is Elijah. It's tapping into the power of God and centers it at a singularity, allowing a witch to cast certain more powerful spells. But instead of God, it's Agrad Bhad Malat she's drawing this power from. What's this witch's circle look like? Well, it can be of any size, small or large. The only criteria is that it must consist of five or more points, each point denotated by a specific marking. In this case, that marking is the sister glyph to the one carved on the victims, identical in every way.
4: So it could be anywhere in Bar.
2: The victims are only useful inside the witch's circle. So it could be anywhere, but...
4: But it has to be a place where she can be sure that all the victims will be sacrificed there.
5: That, then, is the true reason why she's turning these men into her. Not only are they turned into these spell components, but she needs them all killed in a certain area. If she were just killing these men with a knife, the guards would surely quarantine an area of the city that a murder keeps striking in. Herodias told us that Tal mentioned that stonings were common before this whole business. If the bishop were to kill these men in the name of the Lord, no one would even blink twice now, would they? Antoinette Haas played you, bishop. She knew that you'd want to make a public display, especially if she seemingly refused to die every night. You were playing into her hand this whole time, killing the victims for her in the same spot every night. The town square. That's where we're going to find your witch's circle,
0: Alistair. All the color drains from the bishop's face. His eyes widen and he gawks. No! No!
3: I did what I had to. I protected my congregation from the witch. I did not aid her. I did not.
0: The clergymen all rise. Herodias flicks open the chamber of the revolver and empties the shells, which roll across the ground before she reloads the weapon. You must be mistaken.
3: Please, God, I did no such thing. I acted on behalf of the Lord. She was a witch. She had to die. Don't you understand? I did what anyone would have done in my position.
5: I was protecting my congregation.
0: Silas helps Herodias stand, then he turns to Alistair. Reckon it's a good thing we missed that train now, ain't it? Alistair smirks as the clergyman exit the church. Alistair turns at the door and smiles at the bishop, his teeth shining from ear to
2: ear. Turns out you're a monster as well, Bishop. What will your congregation think
0: when they find out?" Alistair exits, trailing behind the rest. The bishop hurls his throne against the ground. The weakened wood from Robert's bullet splinters and cracks as it slams against the stone. The bishop throws himself over the altar, his clawed hands tearing his robes, and then he rushes the pews. The bishop stomps in his tantrum against the pews, trying in vain to crack the sturdy wood. When this fails, he grabs several Bibles and hurls them throughout the interior of the church. Some shatter through the panes of the stained glass. The two church attendants by the doors scamper into the night, leaving the bishop alone as he destroys the church in Durinbar.
2: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Clergyman Immortal Woman, a Leached Talent production. Written and directed by N.E. Gonzorn. Produced and audio-engineered by James Quesada. Music compositions and sound design by Maddie Gosshorn. Narrated by Seth Weeks. And with voice acting by the following talented cast members. Jeff Williams as Ezra. Vinay Nariani as Alistair. Hannah Reinhardt as Herodias. Zan Kramer as Silas. Boyd Barrett as Bishop Martin. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode, and leave us a rating and a review to help other people discover the show. Check us out on social media and on the web by following the links in the show description. Thanks again for listening, and keep the faith.